Alright, so today I want to continue uh, the next installment from Pain to Release, uh, doing a little first review of the basis of what later is um, termed neurosis or distortion, uh, which we've looked at beginning from uh, the perspective of Arthur Janov and primal therapy. On the primal therapy page, dis describing again, and I think this is a foundational understanding principle in terms of how people become unwell, whether it comes out as neurosis or what's called psychosis, whether there's <clears throat> chronic distress or it goes all the way to hallucination, delusion, and personality disorder, inability to help oneself or think clearly, and, and um, you know, a poor prognosis for the future, which is commonly associated with personality disorder or um, psychosis when it gets very, which is itself a very serious level of distortion. From Primal Therapy page, uh, we understand his view that <clears throat> uh, needs going unmet and some kind of trauma or violation, physical, emotional, mental, is the basis of pain that gets imprinted. And <clears throat> his understanding of, of uh, three lines or levels of both imprinting and defense is useful. So from the needs section, uh, and this is in correlation with the understanding of the first three chakras. From the section on needs, primal therapy, Wikipedia page <clears throat> is a quote from Janov. Quote, our first needs are solely physical ones for nourishment, safety, and comfort. Later we have emotional needs for affection, understanding, and respect for our feelings, validation. Finally, intellectual needs to know and understand emerge. And so physical, emotional, mental... Uh, and the deeper the wounding or the, imp the pain imprinting, the needs unmet at the earlier level or the pain imprinted, the trauma at the earlier level, meaning physical, um, the more likely the person will go to psychosis or it'll become severe and meaning the mental condition distortions become severe. And the more difficult to um, heal, release, um, and move move away, move on from. Uh, <clears throat> meanwhile, pretty much everyone has some level of wounding and pain imprinting, physical, emotional, intellectual. Nearly no one uh, has <laughs> perfect parents or quite enlightened, awakened parents, loving and wise. Now down the page a bit, moving into his understanding of how the imprinted pain gets repressed, how it is that people uh, become distorted and self-conflicted by these levels of wounding or needs unmet, deprivation or wounding, and then don't know it, and <clears throat> move into adulthood uh, with such unhealed wounding, which then, as we saw, understanding Melanie, uh, not Melanie Klein, but uh, Karen Horney's theories of um, 
the forms of self-image, uh, fashioning a an adaptive, a, a, a compensatory self-image, the sense of self, second chakra blockage, <laughs> generally, uh, born out of um, a a means of compensating for the uh, imprinted pain that they're carrying, being un unfaced or too painful to face, uh, associated again with unmet needs and uh, violation or trauma. Uh, the section consciousness and repression uh, showing his, now we're getting into sort of the, the fine detail in these Wikipedia pages that I went through faster the first time around that, that helps us support a deeper analysis of some of the forms of defense mechanisms like we looked at last time BPD, borderline personality disorder and particularly the, the mechanism of splitting, which I'm going to go into further here <clears throat> the fine detail uh, where in the section consciousness and repression primal therapy uh, Janov describes defenses in general as agents of repression so it's repressive of the pain that is considered too much to face, right? The pain of deep catharsis or feeling devastated. Defense, defense mechanisms as agents of repression, consuming energy, meaning they lead to a reduced livingfulness, a reduced presence, reduced capacity to live fully in the present moment and to... Um, bring the faculty, the greater faculties of self into uh, the present moment. Consuming energy while protecting the system of the person from catastrophic pain of unfulfilled need or catastrophic pain or any level of unhealed pain actually, not only catastrophic. Catastrophic and moderate and mild pain of not only unfulfilled needs but also uh, trauma and violation, physical, emotional, mental from earlier years and then from the carry-through from past lives. <clears throat> so, uh, the, no, the, the idea that defense mechanisms not only drain us of energy, but also keep us safely from some deeper pain is critical, I think. And whenever we see ourselves or others in avoidance, in some kind of um, irrational responsivity, reactivity, emotionality, emotional charge, triggerability, triggering reaction or reactivity to situations. We can be sure that there's some pain down there that's being avoided, and that's the value of defense mechanisms. It keeps people protected. Meanwhile, it also keeps us um, a bit crippled, <laughs> without full use of, of the faculties of self, particularly green, blue, indigo, particularly uh, inadequately loving to self and other, inadequately feeling, inadequately or um, partially seeing. It keeps us partially seeing. It keeps us regularly unclear and regularly insensitive <clears throat> or regularly unable to really meet the present moment, open heart, clear seeing. And it leads to all sorts of heavy distortions, 
when the person develops spiritual ability or contact with intelligent infinity or access by six chakra development, uh, carrying around heavy pain, yet going into spiritual practice, study and practice, <clears throat> perhaps deeper meditation, perhaps following a guru or a yogi or a master or a system, doing uh, intensive practice or moderate practice, uh, the person often falls into spiritual bypass or uses their spiritual development intellectually, their understanding, and experientially what they may well have awakened to. Uh, often as further means of avoiding the pain. The third bullet point there, first-line imprints occur before intellectual abilities, such as the use of verbal language, have developed, so that's the physical level. <clears throat> and these three lines very much go to physical, emotional, mental, very much relate to first, second, third chakra. They are at the level of pure sensation and visceral gut reaction. And that's, again, the deepest level of wounding, I'd say, uh, precognitive, pre-ahamkarik, uh, pre pre-self-conscious, uh, pre-self-consciousness, before a cohesive sense of self. I is uh, undifferentiated feeling, before any kind of intellectually formulated uh, cognitive conceptual sense of self. Those are the deepest level. That again, <clears throat> the deepest level or pre-identity, pre-cognitive wounding, again, is often the basis of the most severe mental emotional distortions or personality disorders and psychosis. Uh, and also particularly associated with fear and panic, meaning the deepest level of pain <clears throat> is the pain that is associated that, that whatever the wounding, whatever the violation may or may not have been or may have been, whatever the needs unmet, which even may be emotional, uh, there is a portion of it that is physical, meaning there is a physical because we're incarnate in a body. The deepest level of distortion I've always considered fear, panic, terror, and back to that annihilatory dread. And uh, I think if you look at the talk from um, Alone Beyond Fear, talking about Gautama's um, final breaking, breaking of the final three fetters associated with Arahan, even though Arahan, the Arahat fourth stage of awakening, breaks the last five fetters. I thought it was just the three, but it's really the last five, but particularly the last three. Um, uh, involved him in sitting through uh, fear and terror uh, allowing it and not changing position uh, and thereby actually finishing the eye making um, delusive process the uh, shattering of conceit restlessness and ignorance the last three fetters associated with facing that level of distortion in mind which he named as fear and, and terror annihilatory dread, I'd say. And so, there is deep fear uh, in the mind, <laughs> because everybody has uh, some degree of lower triad blockage. And so, even when there wasn't the childhood trauma, violation, physical, emotional, mental, or heavy pain from 
significant needs not met, <clears throat> we still have lower triad blockage. And down, 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 close to 2.1, I'd say, is um, the inevitable fear and dread associated with uh, identification as body. I am a body-mind. And so now we're going from psychology through transpersonal psychology to metaphysics, uh, Buddhist metaphysic, psycholo- you know, Buddhist metaphysical psychology uh, associated with the final stages of the path and what psychodynamics need to be uh, need to be um, sat through. One needs to sit through, and I'd say that's the lowest level, and that's for going on for everybody, whether we're in dysfunctional patterns or not. But these first line imprints, which is akin to first second chakra blockage, are pre-intellectual cognitive, and <clears throat> These can be experienced very early in life, but that's why they were so focused on primal screaming, is to get out rage and terror. But again, I I think he made a a very fundamental mistake by identifying rage and terror uh, as um, of first line. I would say that first line, deepest level blockage associated with self-consciousness, right? We're talking about... (laughs) the chakra blockage is associated with uh, human self-consciousness. And self-consciousness is both the means to freedom as well as the obstruction, obstacle to it. The animal can't be completely and perfectly enlightened. In fact, they're not really anywhere finished with the phase of, as Blake said, experience. There's innocence, experience, higher innocence. innocence is pre-self-conscious, Edenic, animal, pre-self-conscious, but uh, needs experience, middle phase, which is self-consciousness, leading to higher innocence, William Blake, the adept, put this forth. You know, higher innocence is actually post-self-consciousness or unified self-consciousness, like Ra talks about in Sixth Density, and then beyond all that, too. But, uh, the deepest levels of self-consciousness wounding or chakra blockage associated with self-consciousness seem very clearly to me to be of terror and dread and rage is is really not <laughs> the the infant um, that is uh, that has deep pain uh, is not raging <laughs> they may be crying that crying is actually a call to not be annihilated it's a screaming, don't let me die. It's not rage. So, Mr. Janov, who may have had a lot of rage and had his own stuff, I think conflated these two or equated them very, very wrongly, actually. <clears throat> because the infant doesn't rage, and crying and screaming of an infant is not raging. It's actually the last gasp before annihilation. And it's associated with... It's a... Re, it's a pre-cognitive, pre-verbal, pre-self-conscious reaction to the threat of annihilation. And that's definitely, when when it coheres to emotion, it's called terror. Now, in the page on neurosis, um, from the section psychoanalytical theory, I just moved through this first, but I'd like to go back as a basis for 
further analysis of splitting, unpacking splitting, <coughs> uh, unifying splitting, we can call this, or resolving splitting. According to psychoanalytic theory, which is basically you know Freud and um, the early folks in the early 20th century, neuroses, meaning non uh, non delusional, um, relatively common emotional conflicts and unhelpful tendencies and mistake, you know, distorted self-belief, self-image, and all sorts of uh, irrational defense mechanisms associated with neuroses are rooted, may be rooted in ego defense mechanisms, right? So <clears throat> defense mechanisms are a sign of neurosis. And who the hell is not working out of defense mechanisms, huh? All these psychologists have defense mechanisms, you know, <laughs> because they have a delusive sense of self called a sense of self. <laughs> the self-image, the imaging of a self is delusional from a Buddhist metaphysical perspective. From the perspective of what we are, what I is. To know what I is, one sees that a fashioned self-image is, is an ego, is a defense mechanism. Likewise, the whole notion of ego the positing of ego is itself an intellectual defense mechanism, says I, says me. Meaning, to say me, I am an ego, I have an ego, I have a this or a that, a good or a bad, a healthy or a strong, a divided or a unified ego, that itself, I'd say, is an, e is an intellectual defense mechanism that avoids, actually, <laughs> the one seeing the non-differentiated nature of its identity the the fearful eye <clears throat> the false fashioned limited identity serves the purpose of preventing annihilatory dread <laughs> actually and that's what Gautama went through uh, going through annihilatory dread fear and terror uh, leads to freedom from false identity freedom from self-imaging, freedom from the uh, supposed ego, which never existed. Ross said, this concept is unworkable and we find no, no, uh, we find this concept unworkable and something, nothing, no value can come from it or no work can be done with it or something. I forgot exactly their term, but they basically said, yeah, ego is a concept. It's an unworkable concept. <laughs> How about that? They're, they're completely in line with the teaching of Anatta. And Ramana Maharshi's understanding from Advaita Vedanta, from him, not from Advaita Vedanta, they came from him, uh, that um, when you know who I is, you, can, uh, you will know greater freedom. But it ain't a thought. <laughs> I ain't a thought. And so even the supposition uh, of, uh, of a supposed ego... Uh, is, I'd say, a defense mechanism itself. And then we're talking about further stage. And I last time talked about line, conflated the word line and stage. Uh, there are stages of uh, avoidance or progression in defense mechanisms. Like sorrow <clears throat> may be a defense mechanism <laughs> or attachment to sorrow, leaning to if one doesn't want to experience one's sorrow, one may, may go to anger. <clears throat> these, these are basically stages of grief. And at some point, I think I might get into that, the, the 
listing of the stages of grief as progressively dissipating, dissolving defense mechanisms um, who, which need to be dissolved for one to face the genuine pain of the loss of a loved one or the loss of something we valued that is associated with grieving that is necessary for the healing so that one may move on um, the stages of grieving <clears throat> five stages of grieving so it said are can be seen as progressively dissolve progressively thinning <clears throat> uh, defense mechanisms progressively less avoidant of the raw <clears throat> the raw pain it's not exactly imprinted pain it's basically raw pain based in a very real loss of a loved one or something we love or something we wish to have held or kept and so <clears throat> defense mechanisms are happening all over the place everybody's involved in anybody <laughs> to the extent that there's um, any degree of moderate even moderate lower triad blockage there'll be defense mechanisms and therefore so-called neurosis so he wrote defense mechanisms are a normal way right normal normal way of developing and maintaining a consistent sense of self i.e. an ego which is doesn't exist which is an unworkable concept so to maintain the unworkable concept of a relatively stable ego which is done by the intellectuals the psychology intellectuals and the spiritually minded who fall who who think that the uh, psychoanalytic intellectuals uh, know something better than they uh, they all hold on to uh, the the sense of a stable ego which Ra and Gautama understand as an unworkable concept or uh, an illusion <laughs> a falsehood uh, that's really impermanent or you know impermanent and not only impermanent but it's sunya or empty uh, <clears throat> To maintain that, yes, and as Karen Horney said down the page, the three types of self-image, um, what I would call inflated, deflated, and erased, or dissociative, um, I'm great, I'm terrible, or I'm nothing, <laughs> these three types of delusive ego, self-image, itself a defense mechanism, are maintained by the superstructure of multiple other avoidance avoidance tendencies or patterns of thought and, and response that are also defensive and protective against all sorts of pain. Childhood imprinted pain, um, past life unhealed pain, and then the metaphysical pain of uh, terror and the uh, dread uh, upon um, approach to the reality um, that there is no um, solid, separated, substantial self, that identity is not as you fashioned it, and that your image of identity is wrong. It's nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> when the mind is really, really quiet, you'll see there's nothing there that, that there's no, you know, <laughs> look, at, look at the one that's looking without word, without thought. <clears throat> when you see, you know, see the one that's seeing, or feel, or sense the one that's seeing, without thinking, you'll see that all thinking is is um, superfluous. Is all thinking is delusive? All thinking is is, is some scaric add-on 
Now, people go to psychosis from that dissociation or psychological, you know, spiritual grandiosity. I am totality. And that's stupid, too. <laughs> that's just more thinking, actually. And there's fear underneath that. So, I'm not making a call to any kind of spiritual inflation or grandiosity or spiritual bypassing, assuming uh, <clears throat> I am totality. I am as I am. I am as I is. Yeah, I am as I is. I am is I is. So, if you know that, <clears throat> it doesn't make, you know, it doesn't inflate. <laughs> it's just quiet. And so, all right. Uh, so they say here, only those thoughts and behaviors that produce difficulties in one's life should be called neuroses. And that's a problem, because there are some people who are very unloving, who are very confused, <clears throat> who seem to be very distorted, and feel that I'm the problem, you're the problem, they're not. And so they wouldn't say that their attitudes or values or behaviors cause difficulties in their life. They would say, you're fucked up, I am great. <laughs> That's a kind of inflated, delusive self-image. But uh, <clears throat> this is a very limited... You see, this is an avoidance on the part of the psychoanalysts who don't want to really get into the fact that they themselves are still wounded. <laughs> they themselves may have... They may feel that... <clears throat> they may no longer feel that their thoughts and behaviors are, diff are, are conflicted conflictual. They may feel quite well. What they don't want to see is that they still have lower triad blockages and they have a long, long, long way to go. None of them believe in reincarnation, right? So what do you think? <clears throat> so the conscious mind feeling no difficulties with my current, you know, views <laughs> of self and my values and my ways of acting and speaking I feel that that's all non-problematic. So what? I'm finished with the path? It's a joke. It's a it's a human repeater folly. But they don't know that. So that's why I'm talking here in my room rather than at the academy. Going on. A neurotic person experiences emotional distress and unconscious conflict. <clears throat> Everybody experiences regular emotional distress and has conflict they're unconscious of. So everybody's neurotic? Well... <clears throat> I would just say this definition is too narrow. Uh, manifest in various physical and mental illnesses. That itself is, is also too rigid. Everybody experiences regular physical illness, periodic. Everybody has distortion, inadequate love wisdom. Everyone. <clears throat> and everyone has this definitive symptom called anxiety now and then. Um, there is more healthy than other than you know there's some people are more well with themselves and and more love wisdom centered for sure but we all have a long way to go and psychology I guess I said last time has a low ceiling they just don't understand that the path <laughs> goes a whole lot further than relative uh, psychological wellness and emotional well-being uh, experienced by a very limited 3D consciousness in one lifetime. So, that's why we, we ought to take it a little further. So, but, <clears throat> this notion of defense mechanisms, uh, rigid, avoidant, um, unloving, irrational to some degree, 
patterns of thought and speech and response maintain the delusive idealized sense of self, whether it's inflated, deflated, or erased. That's an important notion. Um, and so defense mechanisms can be traced back to um, the maintenance of distorted sense of self. And everybody has a distorted sense of self. The sense is as an image. The imaging is the sense, the sensing of a selfhood. That's itself a distortion or a blockage that comes out of, particularly blockage in, in the 246 line or the 26 chakra band. So, is everybody neurotic? Well, depends on how you use the neurotic, the word neurotic. <clears throat> uh, everybody is distorted, as we know, or everyone's mind manifests distortion. Anybody who says they're not is really a fool, <laughs> is just a liar or a fool. That's all. There's only two choices, really. You're either um, pretending, or you're you're not clear enough to know. <clears throat> and so, you know, I mean, uh, that's one definition of wisdom is the realization of how little one knows. And the definition of folly is um, the presumption of vast understanding. So, <laughs> let's, let's be honest here. Now, <clears throat> the, the point is that all of these um, samskaric curtainings some scaric mental curtainings, curtains and layers and levels and stages of mind fashioning. It's all mental fashioning. It's all uh, avidya-based, ignorance-based. It's all maya, illusory, the play of, um, you know, the concept of light, the illusion of limits, as Ross said. <clears throat> this is the uh, further self-limiting, illusory, mental overlay, samskaric fashionings that are avoidant of, of the reality far the reality of self and creation far beyond fashioning an image, self-imaging and interpretive cognitive conceivings. All that stuff is sunya. <clears throat> it's helpful to be rid of it's helpful along the path to be free of it. Uh, but you can't be free of it in, in one stroke. And so, this is the use of poison to cure poison. All the Taoists understand that. So, the use of poison to cure poison is the use of concept to be free of its roots. Now, <clears throat> when we go to the page on splitting, to review, I know this is bang, bang, bang. I can do this in my room, you know. Couldn't do this if I'm on a stage, perhaps, because everybody's looking at me, and I'm be watching some people walking out, and some people falling asleep, and other people putting their middle finger up, or some people smiling, and some people in meditation. And then now I just look at the trees, and it's very you know non-distracted, so I can <coughs> be more concentrated, perhaps. Uh, <coughs> in the page on splitting, uh, from the top, uh, splitting called black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking. Bear in mind that <clears throat> there's macroscopic and microscopic levels of this particular samskaric process. It's an avoidant process, <clears throat> whether it's avoiding deep pain or um, cognitive dissonance that um, self isn't as I thought, world or other, the relationship isn't as I thought. That's painful. 
<clears throat> um, this splitting surely is avoidant, surely is protective, surely defends us against the pain uh, that may be associated with um, a greater, w with the integration of a greater reality that we hadn't, that we're not currently willing to uh, accept the greater reality associated with self or other or relationship or world or anything uh, the pain deep down whether it's personal or existential there's existential angst you know that is really quite transpersonal like Gautama uh, going through the last uh, few fetters splitting failure in a person's thinking and this is the macroscopic level Failure to bring together the dichotomy of positive and negative qualities of self and others into a cohesive, realistic whole, common defense mechanism, indeed. Uh, and so, this is the macroscopic, <clears throat> larger level, individual thinking in extremes, their actions, their motivations, thinking about others or self. I'm all good, I'm all bad, I'm, you know, inflated, the inflated or deflated self-images. I'm great because I'm smart and I can kick your ass. I'm tough physically. Uh, I'm great because I can feel so much. I feel so much. You know, so physical, emotional, mental. I'm a tough guy. Or I'm a great athlete. Or I'm so feelingful and I'm so loving and I love you so much. And I can feel, oh, I see. Uh -huh. This is, again, some kind of um, emotional overvaluing. So there's physical, emotional, mental. One can see oneself as all good because one has some great, one has some development um, along the physical, emotional, mental, and that feeds the inflated self-image. There's the deflated self-image, which is basically aggression turned inwards uh, with a secret superiority complex often deep down there, and then no middle ground. Now, that's the macroscopic level. <clears throat> and yet it goes the the matter of the the tendency the uh, the the process or pr the the mechanism let's say of splitting uh goes a whole lot deeper now we talked about that down the page as associ associated with borderline personality disorder which is more commonly expressed as borderline tendencies while the PD personality disorder is kind of psychotic or or very wounded mind, <clears throat> the uh, non-personality disorder manifestations are extremely common, particularly uh, idealization devaluation. Uh, DSM says pattern of unstable, intense interpersonal relationships, which means high emotionality, uh, emotionalism, attachment to emotionalism, characterized by alternating extremes of idealization and devaluation. That's the heart of BPD or borderline tendency. Um, it's understood psychoanalytically. This is a non-integration of good and bad images of self and others, represent you know resulting in bad representation, which dominates the good representation. <laughs> uh, but any time one <clears throat> avoids cognitive dissonance, just at the intellectual level, this is called how people stay stuck in wrong belief why the materialists think that uh, the spiritualists having no proof of their beliefs equals um, superstition and wrong belief. 
right? So uh, absence of proof is not proof of absence. They don't know that. They don't care. They would say, <clears throat> your religious spiritual beliefs are superstition. Why? Because we can't prove it. Because nobody's come back from the dead and told me there's an afterlife. Oh, okay. So that proves your position that there isn't? Okay. So they believe that. <laughs> How irrational. And so the science scientists to say that's not possible. Oh yeah, you know everything that's possible? Really? You know you know the totality of possibility? Uh-huh. Really? What? They 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 don't. <laughs> but nobody talks to them that way because they're surrounded by sycophants as y'all as usual. And so people surround themselves by people who agree with them. Hmm, that's a problem. And so it's good to be challenged and Raw talked about that too. The value of um not of non-unquestioning the value of not only having <laughs> the, the limitations of unquestioning um, agreement and the value of uh, constructive criticism or those around us with different views but let's talk it through and so <clears throat> there is um, maintenance of splitting by the uh, people and groups we surround ourselves with or we join and <clears throat> that usually leads to some and that the, the, the commonality of, of splitting or bor the borderline tendency which is a very dramatic example of splitting uh, macroscopically meaning the, the person really uh, goes emotionally up and down with the alternation between idealization and devaluation uh, <clears throat> that is just a macroscopic level or a uh, manifestation writ large of, I would say, the very common tendency that nearly everyone engages in when they avoid truth. <laughs> when they, uh, as the basis for emotional charge reactivity. Why? Because the person couldn't see something and they got upset. We. Why do we get upset? Well, there's something we hadn't seen, or we wanted something that we didn't know we couldn't get. <laughs> and so uh, there is avoidance and unseeing in, in the basis of emotionality, I'd say. And so it's very complicated. Uh, and this is just exp exploring the most, uh, the, the most amplified expressions of um, devaluation, or idealization devaluation. To the extent that, that there is a consistently inflated or deflated or erased self-image, there is um, idealization devaluation. All that is against my self-image is devalued. And that which supports my self-image is idealized or amplified. And so uh, this is understood. In psychoanalytic theory, people with borderline personality disorder or the borderline tendency cannot integrate good and bad images of self and others and so bad representation or good a good you know the, the, the representation is the problem <laughs> and representation is a splitting phenomenon itself so this is now you know I'm going from the psychoanalytic understanding of uh, the macro level in which self-image is split to all good or all bad, and the view of others is split, idealized, and devalued, uh, to the intrapsychic level of an individual, where 
um, certain beliefs are maintained by avoidance in a process that uh, what is avoided is devalued. It's avoided because it's devalued, and it's devalued in association with its avoidance. And what is allowed or considered is overvalued or idealized and not seen clearly either uh, by its admittance, by the fact that we're willing, that, that the person continues um, with that uh, split, pers- with a split perspective. And so when we don't see how others, what's going on with others, to some extent we've been caught by a um, mistaken representation. And so it's very important in a relationship, it's very hard, important, it's very difficult to keep our view of others fluid, to keep our view of ourselves fluid. Ross said the mind contains all things, and that means the mind of others contain all things, meaning they have all sorts of potentials, so do we, good and bad, uh, in accord and, and dissonant with our current self-image, which should be changing all the time, even as it's realized that self-image is uh, woefully inadequate to know the self. <laughs> so there's all this going on. Now, down the page. <laughs> um, if you hadn't, if you're not having enough fun yet, Janet, Bleuler, and Freud. These are the heavy hitters from the early 20th century. Uh, all this very interesting, you know. If you like it, I like it. Uh, I would listen to this stuff a couple of times. So, you know, I apologize and I don't apologize for going fast and high density. Um, we can process faster. You know, we can upgrade our CPU, our mental, spiritual processing speed. Um, I've learned, I want to, I want to learn that too. Janet, Janet, it's a Janet, Bleuler, and Freud. This is the origins of how the notion of splitting came to be. The early uh, psychoanalysts working with this concept as a defense mechanism and its early development. Then I'm going to go down further. Uh, I think we'll probably stay with splitting for the rest of this hour and may or may not you know, get into borderline personality disorder further. We did a bit last time. But uh, it is, I think, a little more interesting to look at the um, intrapsychic level, the microscop- microcosmic approach, um, seeing um, how the, the commonality of splitting and um, idealization, devaluation, um, and the inability to reconcile uh, polarity uh, as a a common feature of mind, not simply even neurosis. You know, before there's neurosis, there's distorted mental process. When it hardens, it's called neurosis. And, And a strong attachment to distorted mental process goes to neurosis. Uh, neurosis, when uh, further hardened and corruptive or expanded, extended throughout the mind, even structurally to um, the ability to think and even perception, to the, the mental perception and observation, then the neurosis goes to psychosis or personality disorder or delusion and schizoidal, schizophrenic, uh, schizoid. Um, which is splitting, which is, as I say, was split um, conditions of mind. So we'll see. I mean, you can say that all mental illness is the result of splitting. It involves splitting. 
whether it goes to the level of neurosis or PD, personality disorder, or not, that's why I think it's very important to look in, because the primary process that defense mechanism engages is splitting. Defense mechanism itself is splitting. That's why I think it's critical. So, let's say, let's see, splits in, from this paragraph, splits in consciousness, quote, normal self versus secondary self, right, all delusional, delusionary, splits in consciousness, I'll just read it without commenting, normal self versus secondary self, was first described by Pierre Genet in De l'automatisme psychologique, my French friend can help, sorry, his ideas, 1889, Right? So, 130 years ago. His ideas, uh, Pierre Genet, were extended by Bleuler, who in 1908, right, 110 years ago, coined the word schizophrenia, with an F, from the Greek schizo, or split, and friend, mind, split mind. So, schizophrenia as personality disorder, or associated with personality disorders, uh, split mind, is a long-term result of chronic splitting. And then also Freud um, extended Genet's ideas to explain splitting, Spaltung, German, splitting of consciousness, not with Genet as the product of innate weakness, but as a result of inner conflict. You know, unfortunately, every one of these guys has truth to what they're saying, and it's not either or, it's both and. There is weakness of mind that leads to splitting, a sense of, I can't put these together. I just can't get it. There, there's cognitive, you know, blockage sometimes. I just can't understand how he could be this way and that way. How I could be this way and that way. How can I be, you know, <laughs> the one infinite creator when I seem to be such a damn mess? How, how could it be that, that, that there's unity and all is one when there's so much argument going on out here? Uh, how can God be loving when there's death and suffering and injustice? That's splitting too. Though, though the inability to comprehend the Logos, or God, as um, all um, in, you know, in, in this world of distortion, that's the result of some splitting as well, it seems to me. The problem, of course, is to think that God is all love, Therefore, anything is called hate and injustice and suffering and misery uh, must be un unlove. That whole thing is based on confusion because God is more than love or the Logos is more than love. The Logos is infinity, which is intelligent and is therefore the source of light, um, which gives rise to bodies for portions of awareness or consciousness with free will to act and experience the consequences of their actions. <laughs> so, uh, infinity generating light, which coalesces into forms uh, of relative consciousness and awareness that have free will making choices, then experience consequences of their choices, which includes uh, pain and suffering and injustice and war and all the terrible things we see in this planet, as well as all the bliss and beauty of all sorts of other things. So, uh, to think that God is all love and therefore there's you know there's no God because uh, this world is not all love is just childish you know limited thinking so it's funny how lots of people think they're really smart <laughs> when they're not they think they're really cool when they're uncool so I used to say cool is fool 
but you know if you think that that your understanding of of love uh, is comparable to the logoic state of being uh, and therefore the since this world is full of or includes a lot of hate and injustice and pain therefore there's no god um, you're a fool <laughs> you're foolish maybe you're not a fool but that's a foolish way of thinking and so you know <laughs> be careful <laughs> be careful so these guys are looking at the um, the the nature of mind splitting as a basis of of schizophrenia but but also a basis of any kind of or, or related to emotional conflict uh, Freud basically pioneered this notion of deep mind conflict which is brilliant and people weren't aware of that they were symptomologies and you know people with uh, obsessive compulsive patterns or paranoia or autism or all sorts of strange behaviors and people thought they were you know it was genetic or neural or it's bad spirits or bad food or they're just pretending couldn't understand that indeed there is uh, there are levels of a mind uh, of me my personal process that I'm unaware of that's called the subconscious and that was a uh, you know Freud kind of brought to people's attention hey you're just a conscious mind there's uh, much more to you than you're not aware that you're not aware of going on with the development of the idea of repression right people they they came to the idea that there's that was the basic understanding of what defense mechanism is all about is repression repression of the inner conflict repression of conditions that the person didn't want to face or, or dynamics of you know the memories of the past you know something painful that they don't want to remember or you know some inner conflict that seems too painful again to face or complicated but the basic um, the basic function of defense mechanisms is repressive is repression of the unwanted whatever is unwanted uh, in in the deeper mind which may be again a memory of an experience that, that's painful or an aspect of truth about oneself or about about the other about the universe or about the other it's repressive um, so there's protective repressive <laughs> repressive is protective of the limited self's belief in its capacity to feel pain <laughs> the mistaken imaged self of a particular type of self-image uh, partaking generally of some some of the each of the three each of the three inflated deflated and erased it's not like people always have one of the one or of the three it's usually self-image is a composite of inflation deflation and um, and in ignorance basically um, non-seeing which is kind of erased or I'm not that denial so self-image generally is a composite of inflation deflation and um, unknowing uh, erasure <laughs> or uh, just not seeing that <clears throat> self-image um, itself is a defense mechanism <laughs> avoidance of something deeper which is the true nature of uh, identity or true identity which is far beyond any kind of concept or a stream of imagining uh, to maintain that sense of self 
that composite sense of self, all sorts of patterns in mind or tendencies are generated. They're all repressive. Um, there may be repression of particular memory. There may simply be repression of that which contradicts my current sense of self. And so there are all defense mechanisms have the function to repress the unwanted. Freud then later, you know, splitting moved to the background of his thought for some time, was reserved for cases of double personality, which is again just a kind of macroscopic uh, level of splitting or phenomenon product of um, greater splitting in the mind. Um, and that, you know, any kind of MPD, multiple personality disorder, uh, when it's very serious, um, is, is a really <clears throat> considered a psychotic process or very extreme damage in mind. Uh, and again, associated with split and non-integration, right? So the law of one <laughs> is um, the teaching on the essential unity of all. And the way to that um, is basically to realize first the, the unity of the polarities of mind and the apparent self. And so that's healing and initiation of mind. And that works, you know, first on knowing one's mind and accepting it, and then knowing the mind of others and accepting that. And then looking at the geometries and all that these five practices associated with healing and initiation of mind, which is the healing of lower triad blockage, a very deep first pass, actually. <clears throat> and it's all associated with um, seeing, accepting, and integrating, going beyond splitting, going beyond avoidance, going beyond um, dualism to the non-dual. And then, of course, <laughs> the path goes beyond the non-dual, to the infinite and the the wordless. So, this is a very interesting point because splitting, per se, is the basis of uh, maintained lower chakra blockage or any chakra blockage. In fact, um, blockages in in the channel from one to seven, from root chakra to crown chakra, any blockages in that channel. Uh, associated with blockages in, in any of the seven rays or in their relations, is in some ways um, the result of a, a, is the result of a splitting process, obviously usually unconscious. Uh, somehow the person doesn't want to love. There's there's some there's some that the person the, there's some catalyst the person can't love. There's some pain the person can't accept. There's some truths the person can't face. There's some seeing the person disallows. There's some being an energetic quality the person avoids. There's avoidance, disallowance, denial, obstructive, obstruction, um, even in the, in the higher triad, in uh, 4, 5, 6. The blockages are based on avoidance or about on fear. It's back to fear. Back to fear. A fear of transparency, a fear of dissolution, a fear of non-becoming, or a fear of um, losing me. <laughs> you know, the last, uh, the, the last conceptualization is ahamkara, eighth fetter conceit. Uh, when that's you know, 
it's it's the fashioned identity, not simply one of these three types of self-image. It's a whole lot deeper than that. It's very transconceptual. It's a very it's the very um, sense of stable, substantive, delimited identity um, that is the real nature of Ahamkara, eighth fetter, um, that is broken or released only at the co- at the co- at the price of going through great terror, dread that I'm I will be destroyed, and so. You know, all of this is um, much more macroscopic uh, conscious mind level activity. That's what they're focusing on. But the the func- the activity of splitting, avoidance, denial, non-seeing, pushing away, uh, rejectionism uh, goes far, far deeper than these conscious mind activities, and far greater than a single incarnation healing work can achieve um, is, you know, the work this the single incarnation uni, you know, mono-incarnational self-healing only works a, a little bit of um, release of blockage or freedom from distortion or deep healing or chakra working. Only a little bit. And so uh, these um principles and teachings and ideas about from psychology, psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis about defense mechanisms, particularly splitting, um, can be amplified as, you know, as facets of why beings are not out of the octave yet. <laughs> as, as some of some dynamics can be extrapolated to the very process of soul incarnation through higher dimensions and the work of seven chakra perfection, which is a big, big piece of work. Um, and splitting as a maintenance of dualism, a maintenance uh, and avoidance of unity, as disunity. Um, at all levels of being, all chakras and higher dimensional incarnations as well uh, must be uh, transcended or, or must be ended <laughs> this this basically dualizing the dualizing mind um, takes basically eons or, or many 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 lifetimes to naturally cease so we're just talking at a very human macroscopic level here and I just want to talk a little bit in the last 10 minutes here. Melanie Klein and and um, Kohut a little bit, just to just to show where they were coming from. Melanie Klein, uh, object relations to some degree, quote, uh, paragraph, There was, however, from early on, another use of the term splitting in Freud, not only, um, excuse me, repression of unconscious conflict, referring rather to resolving ambivalence by splitting contradictory feelings so that one person is only loved, another one only hated, good mother and the wicked stepmother in fairy tales, or with opposing feelings of love and hate, perhaps, quote, the two opposites should have been split apart, and one of them, usually the hatred, has been repressed, 
Such splitting was closely linked to the defense mechanism of isolation, which is the division of objects into congenial and uncongenial ones, making disconnections. And so uh, you've got <laughs> the splitting uh, whereby one person is seen or self is seen as all good or all bad. You've got uh, the splitting where one person... Um, it, it's not that different. Uh, one person holds my love and another one holds my hate. <laughs> Uh, the person uh, is self-isolating, generally, or isolating from the hated object, uh, but divides their assessment of anything into love, hate, all good, all bad. Okay. So this is just another <clears throat> variation on, on the way of, you know, one of the many ways of splitting. It goes on, it was the latter sense of the term that was predominantly adopted and exploited by Melanie Klein. After Freud, this is just somebody who likes her, thinks the most important contribution came from her, whose work enlightens the idea of splitting of the object. Okay, well, splitting, so it's not just splitting the sense of self or having a split sense of self, but the object itself gets split. Um... In her object relations theory, Klein argues that, quote, you know, this is just one possibility. The earliest experiences of the infant are split, maybe split, between wholly good ones with good objects and wholly bad ones with bad objects. Children struggle to integrate the two primary drives, love and hate, into constructive social interaction. Uh, important step in childhood development is gradual depolarization of the two drives. <laughs> so then we get into all sorts of other things. Uh, Depolarization of the two drives really means that um, there isn't this isolation between my loving and my hating. Uh, I can love and hate the same person. <laughs> I can love and hate myself. Well, all right. Uh, it's mainly, obviously, to resolve the splitting whereby the feelings associated with what I like and the feelings associated with what I don't like um, are not are, are able to commune with each other, and we can see ourselves and we can see others as uh, partially um, as I wish it to be, and partially as I wish it wouldn't weren't. So I'm not everything I want to be, and I'm also uh, goodly and just as I wish myself to be in some ways. You are just as I wish, or I'm happy with you as you are in some ways, and I'm unhappy with you, or I feel unhappy with you being the way you are in some other ways. All right? Uh, that can, that's some kind of resolution of, of split affect going on. At what Klein called paranoid schizoid position, which again goes to psychological, you know, strong psychological conflict and a splitting, product of splitting, and also personality disorder, psychotic, um, ex uh, more extreme level of distortion, in that there's a stark separation of the things the child loves, good, gratifying objects, and the thing the child hates, bad, frustrating objects, quote, because everything is polarized into extremes of love and hate. Just like what the baby seems to experience and young children are still very close to, 
and that's where we get to the good breast and the bad bad breast or the good nipple, bad nipple as split mental entities resulting from the way, quote, these primitive states and the mind of, a, of an infant is sort of primitive, you know, and, and those levels of our processing still exist. These primitive states tend to deconstruct objects into good or bad bits called part objects. And there is some truth to that, or I think it's quite true, that pr- more primitive levels of mental processing, uh, what, the reptilian brain, the limbic brain or something, uh, certain levels of, you know, the mind is a complex um, being. And so primitive levels of mental perception and processing are a bit like, I'd say, very, um, you know, uh, digitized, <laughs> zero, one, zero, one, zero, one, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good. That That's true, I think. And, and when a person can only think this way, they have a kind of primitive functioning, or they've fallen back to an earlier level of mental functioning. I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and so personality disorders, schizophrenia, you know, this paranoid schizoid position, very serious problem, or a level of problem that is quite dire. Uh, you know, it's straight up schizophrenia, uh, paranoia, and um, schizoidal uh, avoidance of, of certain aspects of personal experience. Uh, the person has the, the person has fallen back to an a, an earlier level of mental processing that is very much associated with the infant or the pre-conscious state where it's all good, it's all bad, because the moment is all. This moment is all because there is no memory. <laughs> hey, sounds like seventh density. There's no memory and no identity. Hmm, sounds like seventh density. Right, Blake was right. One seven chakra band. The condition of uh, innocence uh, associated with animalism or the animal second density state associated with early infancy, associated with um, bef- the, the state prior to self-consciousness, akin to the state pri- state that's subsequent to or post-self-consciousness called seventh density. Sixth density still has self-consciousness. It's the unified self-consciousness, which is simply the counterpart to the long-held dual, dualistic, separative self-consciousness. So unity is simply the resolution of duality, but the resolution of unity duality is seventh density or infinity, the boundless. Uh, the goal is not unity. Unity is a stepping stone to infinity. And infinity is post-conceptualism. And pre-conceptualism is the early state of the infant, which is akin to an animal, second density, pre-self-conscious. And that's exactly where um, psychosis what you know i mean i'm not trying to blame anybody but i'm just using these commonly used words psychosis schizophrenia personality disorders being very extreme ways of of processing are very akin to um uh, a condition prior to identity and prior to memory or or the process the mental processing primitive mental processing that doesn't involve much identity and memory and memory, identity is very much fashioned by memory. With the ending of memory comes the ending of identity. With the ending of identity comes the ending of memory. Memory and identity 
uh, is one, <laughs> really. You know? Uh, there is no uh, experience of past, present, future uh, in a limited way, in, in the common way we have it now, without a, a, an imaging of identity or self-image, without ahamkara. So memory and ahamkara are bound tightly. Memory and identity um, are the phase of experience, as Blake said, which is really human up through atmanic, uh, third density to six. And before in the animal and after in the, you know, what, totality complex of seventh density and the buddhic uh, beyond into the octave, the logoic, there is, um, you know, uh, there, is no exper- there is no consistent identity in memory. Likewise, the infant uh, is precognitive, akin to the animal, um, prior, or doesn't really have the sense of self sufficient to, to, uh, to, to make use of memory. So this is a very, very subtle point. The um, relationship or integra- the identity even, or integration, let's just say, of memory and identity uh, I think that Klein got that right, that uh, early infancy, without memory, without cohesive identity, experiences only this moment, and this moment is either satisfying or unsatisfying. It's a good moment or a bad moment. And the next moment, I forgot the last moment, there's no memory. The next moment, I don't know anything thought about the last moment or another moment, and it's either good or bad. Good, bad, good, bad, good, good, bad, good, good. Sounds like zero and one, right? That, in very ways, is um, the primitive mode of mental processing, pre-conceptual, pre-fashioned uh, identity, indeed. And uh, people with very strong wounding fall back to that, uh, and that's very schizophrenic, and that's very schiz- that's very split. Uh, it's it's. You know, <laughs> it's the, uh, prim- the the inevitable information processing splitting of the pre-conscious mind before cohesive identity and reliable memory. There's only the moment, and there isn't even me. There's just satisfaction, non-satisfaction, called good, bad, good, bad, bad, good. And that's pretty heavy. <laughs> and so, f- going to... F- close this up, as the child learns that people and objects can be good and bad at the same time, he or she progresses to the next phase called the depressive position, and this is (laughs) these are developmental stages which are nicely labeled as pathology, for some reason Uh, the paranoid schizoid position (laughs) is just the primitive level of processing prior to memory and identity, the secondary is (laughs) she, you know, named it with pathology which is interesting the depressive position entails a steady, though painful, approximation towards the reality of oneself and others, akin to Blake's phase, long middle phase of experience. It's not depressive, it's called reality. It's called realism. <laughs> Learning realism. Applying love and wisdom to realism. Developing love and wisdom through realism. Moving uh, away from uh, the splitting of idealization devaluation that's associated with uh, the primitive mental processing phase, the earlier phase, where there's no past or future and there's no me, there's just good or bad uh, experience in the moment, in a moment that 
uh, in an eternal present. Um, when that carries into later years, it goes to borderline personality disorder or borderline tendency where the person or the self or this or that is all good or all bad. The next stage is not depressive <laughs> per se. It's actually um, realistic and a development of uh, love wisdom or the capacity to accept and know based on an increasing um, the increasing experience of um, life as is which is a whole or a gestalt which includes what I like and what I don't like good and bad, pleasure, pain and that's the long phase of experience as Blake said that leads to the final stages of higher innocence uh, where one um, goes even beyond the unity or synthesis um, the maturation of reconciling pleasure and pain or having not having and I think that's that's where we're going to end for today but it, you know a lot of people in this world don't want to accept that you cannot have the life you want actually sorry <laughs> this is third density folks this is not heaven this is earth Ross said an adequate heaven and uh, more than adequate hell is available for experiencing can be fashioned depending on one's karma and one's development and ability but there are a lot of people here and you see this all the time now they want 24-7 pleasure it's not possible <laughs> in, in even people who are very responsible hard-working older generation folks um, who are willing to roll up Who and there are people like that today but I think hedonism and folly are being well encouraged in the mainstream culture uh, but even the old you know I think that maybe you can say that older generations or people which is maybe a majority I don't know maybe it is a majority but people who are willing to take responsibility for the hard labors of incarnation so, you know we need to work whether making money or not work is needed and life is a is a medley of uh, what uh, of the experience of pleasure and pain the weight worldly winds keep blowing and there'll be continual pleasure pain gain loss and well-being dis dismay um, accepting that is maturity rejecting that goes to neurosis and psychosis which is splitting which is the result you know which is the result of various levels and mechanisms of splitting maturity is um, synthesizing or, or appreciating uh, the whole and its differentiation and immaturity uh, uh, and ultimately mental illness or neurosis psychosis or being really stuck and 3D repeating is an avoidance of what is and an unwillingness to see life clearly, realistically which surely is just not it's never going to be everything you want it to be pleasure is impermanent hey hey, conditions change nothing stays the same everything is in total flux and and to live that to, to stay well in such an ever-changing situation outer inner body mind relations feelings you know all health all of that is ever-changing 
to remain to to seek balance and well-being in that demands a whole lot of maturity in the willingness to accept pleasure and pain to accept that pain will come and go pleasure cannot be held and you know it comes and it goes too and if you got a problem you better face it <laughs> or whatever problems we got we ought to face because they ain't going away by avoiding and running away turning away pretending splitting switching doing some kind of little gymnastics in the mind or body it doesn't resolve the pain uh, the pain needs to be faced and accepted and understood and healing can come uh, but this is um, the 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 demand of um, maturity in being realistic um, is the resolution of splitting and splitting is a very you can say it's immature you can say it's uh, unrealistic you can say it's avoidant um, it's inevitable <laughs> beings in the octave are all doing it and that's why they're not out of the octave yet uh, but this is very much associated with um, psychological health and spiritual maturity so we'll, we'll conclude um, this commentary comment commentary uh, on Melanie Klein and her understanding of splitting and look into maybe Kernberg and Kohut these are all the people that I didn't really look into much in graduate school but they have a lot to say uh, and I'm glad to be coming at it from a metaphysical and Buddhist perspective because uh, otherwise um, it's too limited you know this looking from the bottom up um, things um, look quite different than when you're looking from a higher or spiritual metaphysical level down at the emotional mental so anyway uh, thank you for being here I hope it was helpful it's went a little long today but that's fine take good care of yourselves and good night <laughs>